The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, my name is Doug Friesen and I'm one of the pastors here. And today I want to start off by asking you a very simple question which I'm sure you've heard very often and it's simply this, how do you feel today? I don't know about you but I don't always find it very easy to answer that question. Sometimes I'm not actually even sure how I feel and I'm not sure if it's the appropriate time to share that information. And uh, so there's different things on this picture. You can see, well, I'm feeling happy, I'm angry, I'm surprised. No, none of those usually describe me in the moment. But right now, there's a word that I've been reintroduced to in the last two, three weeks that, that describes sometimes how I feel pretty much every day for at least a portion of the day. And it's the word called languished. <laughs> I feel like I'm languishing. And not all day, but most days there's a little bit of that. And it's kind of this, this time, it's not, it's not uh, you're not feeling fulfilled, you're not feeling depressed, things in life are going okay, but it's just kind of like, meh. It's, it's this feeling of being dispirited, just not sure what's next. And uh, so often when I'm feeling that, I'm, I'll go for a walk or I'll be lying in bed, and I always kind of bring that to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm not sure why, but I'm, I'm feeling this way, meh. And God always, every single time, says, Doug, focus on me. And underneath the light in my bedroom, there's a cross. And on the cross, there's a verse, Hebrews 12, 2. And it says, for the joy set before him. And always, that's the reset. It's, Doug, remember me. Remember what I did in joy for you, that I suffered and I died for you so that you can have life in me. And that's always the reset for me. It doesn't change the circumstances, but it does change my thought life, which eventually changes my mood. And I think it's just very true to say that the path of life is through the door of death. When we focus on what Christ did for us, if it wasn't for what he did and who he is, I could not enter into life. Over last week or two weeks ago, we were finishing off Romans 6. And Romans 6 very much talks about this, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried before, therefore with him by baptism into death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. If we want to enter into life, getting out of this feeling of languishing, we need to come to God and say, Lord, I thank you for what you did for me. I appreciate you. I've, I identify in your death, and I also identify in your resurrection. Because you died and I died in you, I can have life. And that's the benefit of dying in Christ, is that we actually enter into life. So, Romans 7 is kind of a parallel track to Romans 6. In Romans 6, we were talking about being under sin, and now in Romans 7, we're talking about being under the law. And it tells us that the law is a very binding thing, but that there is a way out from it. And so in verse 1, we read this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Okay, that's good news, I guess. The law is binding on me only as long as I live, but that seems like a terminal statement when it just comes to me. 
And, and Paul goes on to give an illustration from marriage, saying that so if a man and woman are married, when the man dies, the woman can be married again because that, that agreement, that lifelong trust is over. It's been completed. But if she would be with a man while she is married, that would be adulterous. That's not right. So it's important to understand that marriage is a lifelong commitment that ends in death. So this isn't supposed to go, okay, does this mean divorce or marriage? The whole point about this is that marriage is a lifelong union, and the only way it ends is by dying. Similarly, being under the law is a lifelong union that only ends by death. And Christ did that for us. He died for us. And we're going to get into the benefits of that today, the benefits of dying. And the first benefit of dying is that we die to belong. If you're looking to belong, we need to die in Christ and what he's done for us. Verse 4 says this, Likewise, brothers, just like marriage is only ended with death, likewise, brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So let's just look at this first part here. Likewise, my brothers, you who have also died to the law through the body of Christ. What we need to know is that the law wasn't just abolished. It wasn't just thrown away. It was God saying, oh, I made a mistake with giving the law before. Let's just erase that and start fresh with Christ. No, Christ came and he fulfilled the law in a way that no human being other than him could do because he was perfect and he was God. So he fulfilled the law, which required my death. He fulfilled it so that I could be freed from that penalty. He paid the penalty for us. And why did he do that? Beautifully, so that we may belong to another. That we could have life with him. Do you want to belong to someone? Let me tell you that the Bible clearly says the only place that really matters is to know that you belong with God. Because from that, every other relationship can flourish. Eternally. And we need to know that Christ didn't just die for us. He rose from the dead. The sting of death is gone. He proved to be more than death could handle. And that's a beautiful picture of, again, what baptism is. That's why it's one of the ordinances of the church, is that when we give our life to Christ, baptism is a symbol of that death to the law, death to sin, and then renewed life in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. In Matthew 3, we actually see the baptism of Jesus. And there we're told that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, the Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus, and a voice was heard that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Wouldn't you like a statement said like that said about you? Here's my beloved Son. Here's my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with this person. That's what belonging is. Knowing that you are someone's son, daughter. We're God's son. We're God's daughters. And he's well pleased with us. You know, it's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. That, time, that first 
sharing of God's, Jesus' baptism is the first time really in Scripture where it's very clear that God is triune. We know that God is one, and we've, throughout the Bible, you'll see things about the Spirit and about God and, and pre-incarnations of, of Christ where he's just, we have pictures of him, but this baptism is the first time it's very clear. Here's the Son, here's the Spirit, here's the Father. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go to the whole world and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We belong to a triune God who's completely satisfied within himself. He does not need anything else. He does not need love from anyone. He is the complete, perfect expression of love, and he invites us to join in his life. And so you might sometimes hear people say, sometimes just to get aroused, saying, oh, you know, the Bible never talks about the Trinity. You're you're right, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but that beautiful relation of a triune God is seen everywhere, and it's seen in this verse. We see here in verse 4 the body of Christ. We're going to get right away into the fruit for God, and then in verse 5 we're going to talk about the new way of the Spirit. The three are always together. They're always united, and yet they have their perfect identities, and so we're invited into that relationship, the relationship that God has among himself Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the first benefit of dying is so that we can belong to such a God. But there's another benefit to dying, and and that's to bear fruit. Verse 4 goes on to continue to say this, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Have you ever thought about why God saved you? When you think about if you were to share with a friend about why do they need God, Of course it will come up to, well, to be saved from your sins, to have eternity with God, a place where there's no sin or sorrow, uh, to have life in him. There's many different reasons why we can say why we want to be saved or why God would want us to be saved. But in Romans 7, we are clearly told that we are to be saved because we first of all are to belong to God. And why are we to belong to God? in order to bear fruit. So this is hugely important to understand that bearing fruit isn't just, again, something that we're productive in doing. Bearing fruit comes from the fact that I actually belong to God. And that knowledge and that relationship should lead into fruit that is evident. It should just flow from that. Not sure why. Oh, here's a clicker. So in Ephesians 2, verse 10, uh, it's a verse that we're very familiar with. Verses 8 to 9 says that uh, salvation is a gift of grace, not by works, that you can't earn it. And then it talks about that we are uh, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned for us to do way in advance that we're supposed to walk in them. So he's created us for good works. What's fruit? Fruit in one big definition would be good works. Good works that reflect the life of Christ. Titus uh, 3.14 says, our people must learn to do good. Another translation is must be devout to do good. By meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. So if you want to know what fruit is, there's, it looks different, but one of the key things is that we're looking to do good by meeting the needs of others. 
and then they will not be unproductive. The same Greek word can be translated unfruitful. So we want to be sure that we're not living lives that are unfruitful. One of the ways that we know we're in a saving relationship with God is because we desire to help others in need. And their biggest need is not usually what is presented, first of all. Their biggest need is an understanding of who God is and who they can be in Christ. We often lose sight of that because of the kind of the urgency of needs in the moment. So we should meet those needs, of course, but we do that so that the life of Christ might be seen in us and they might wonder, can I belong to such a God as well? So we're not supposed to be unproductive. You know, uh, Romans 7 says more than just the fact that we can be unfruitful. It also says that before we knew Christ, the fruit that we had was towards death. We read this in Romans 6, 20 to 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So what the Bible says is, you know, when you were a slave to sin, you weren't concerned about what mattered to God. You did whatever you wanted. So look at where you're at today. Are you happy with that? The Bible says that if you have that reflection, you should be able to see that when I just did life by my own choices, at the end, it was unfruitful. It's fruit for death. And God doesn't want us to have that experience. He wants us to know that our life now matters, not only for today, but for eternity. Verse 22 goes on to say, but now, that's a phrase that Pastor Terry mentioned a while ago, it's a so important phrase, but now, because it's talking about you were dead, but now you are alive. You were under sin, but now you are free for righteousness. You were under the law, but now you are free in the Holy Spirit. It's a hugely important phrase. So what comes after this? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So fruit, most of all, has to do with who we're becoming, sanctification, that we're becoming like Christ. My fruit is that by belonging to God, he starts making me like him, and its completion, its full end is eternal life. And the Bible says eternal life is what? Eternal life is Jesus Christ. It's not just some time in the future that will never end. Eternal life is Jesus Christ. So what is fruit? Fruit comes from belonging to God who's making you like Christ and one day that transformation will be complete in each and every one of us. And that's the fruit that God wants us to have and that's the fruit he wants displayed to other people so that they might see maybe what they're thinking is fruitful is actually only death. Maybe it really isn't satisfying. Maybe there's no life in what I think I'm doing is bringing me joy and peace and all that. It's just temporary crutches. And God wants me to have eternal life in him. So benefit of dying, first of all, is that we belong. So that why? We bear fruit. And how do we do this? We do this in new life. Verse 6 goes on to say, but now, so again we see this phrase again, we are released from the law 
having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, of the law. So we were released from the law. What that means, again, is that the the Old Testament no longer stands as the authoritative guide to Christian living. It's not saying it's not important. It's not saying don't bother reading it because it's done with. It's just saying that, that obeying the law cannot get you to eternal life. But living in the Holy Spirit is eternal life. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to do things that the law talks about. I was once told by one of our, my professors when I was in Bible school just saying that, you know, the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit and about our future with Christ is that those Ten Commandments, which we all break in some way, again, you might not murder, but you probably have bad thoughts towards people that says, I don't even need you in my life. You might not commit adultery, but you have lust in your heart. We all break the Ten Commandments over and over and over again, especially the ones that start off with our relationship with God and honoring him and caring for it, right? Just, we break it all the time. And he just said the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit and about life in Christ is that those commands which we can never keep become promises that God keeps in us. With Christ, I will never murder. I will never commit adultery. I will honor him. All those things that I could never do on my own that just condemn me with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, those are now things saying, this is the way you will live because that's the type of God I am. So we're released, why? So that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. That we can have life in the Spirit. And this is a phrase that we talk about, we sing about, it comes readily off our tongue. Similar, I think, what Kevin said before about abiding. It's very easy to say that and to, and to mean it, but not be maybe experiencing it. We desire it, but we don't know how to enter into it. And I would say that on this side of heaven, learning what it means to have life in the Spirit is crucial for us. This is what life is about. Belonging to God, bearing fruit, and the only way we can bear fruit is if we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, there's a number of us who have been watching a, a TV show called the, the Chosen, and I think we'll probably end up watching part of it as a church later on. It's about the life of the disciples and how they grew together as a group and how they grew in their relationship with Christ. And uh, on a recent episode, Mary Magdalene, they, there was a group of them talking, and Jesus was busy kind of like for the whole day, and they were kind of feeling maybe a little bit left out. And one of the guys says, I, I wonder... I wonder if he's just waiting for us to be a little bit more holy to use. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the problem, is that we're not holy enough. And uh, Mary Magdalene, again, this isn't scripture, this is imagination, but very wise words that were written in her, for her to speak. She said, I, I don't think that Jesus is waiting for us to be holy. I think he came because he knows we can't be holy without him. See, the law makes us think that I can be holy if only I obey it. And I fall and I fall and I ask forgiveness and I keep trying to obey the law. But God says, no, you're never going to get to life from that. The only way you get to life is by joining me in my death to the law and my death to sin and 
new life in the Holy Spirit. I just want to make a, a, a very clear statement here because sometimes when we th- talk about things like uh, the Holy Spirit, like, it can seem kind of sensational. And, and I want to make the distinction that there is a difference between something being supernatural and something being sensational. And I have the word verses there. They're not actually opposed to each other, but they're not the same. So if you're thinking about life in the Holy Spirit and you're just thinking sensational, I need to see miracles, I need to do, like, it has to be, like, big. That's what life in the Holy Spirit is. It's not what the Bible says. Those things may happen, but life in the Holy Spirit is completely supernatural. Mary, in the TV show, said, I think Jesus came so that he could make us holy. And, and we might look at these, those images of Jesus walking among his disciples and say, if only that was true today. If only Jesus could be here right now. He could be the one speaking. He could be the one sitting with us, showing us how to serve. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And God would look at us, Christ would look at us and say, what I've given you is much better than my physical presence in this room. What I did for you was die, rise again, ascend into heaven. Why? So that I could send my comforter to you my source of wisdom to you. I don't just live beside you, I live within you. That, my friends, is supernatural. And you know what my problem is? I often think of life as being mundane, languishing. (sighs) And God says, but I live within you. Why don't you remember that? In those moments, intentionally abide with me. Allow me to change your thought life that eventually changes your actions. Find your worth in me and nothing else. Find your worth in me and then from that point of worth, go and live your life so that others might see who I am. Your life is supernatural if it's in Christ. If you have given your life to Christ, your life is supernatural. It might not be sensational. But the point is to have an abiding walk with the Holy Spirit and to keep that as our focus. So the benefit of dying again is so that we might belong and to bear fruit, and not fruit that we have to strive to do on our own, but fruit that happens because the Holy Spirit supernaturally lives in us and he wants to live through us to the blessing of others. So I want to use the rest of this message just to talk about some of the evidences of life in the Holy Spirit. I think it's important to focus on that because I think we underestimate the presence of God in us. And we give ourselves too much credit sometimes when God deserves the credit for the good things that happen in life. We sometimes think we do good things and we present them to God and God says, no, I did that all through you. Present it to me, be thankful for it, but understand that I did it. So... These next points are all descriptive. I'm not saying they're prescriptive. The best of my ability as I look through Scripture, these are just a sampling of things that I think help us to know what life in the Holy Spirit is about. And the first thing I think the Holy Spirit changes in us are our attributes, our character qualities, the things that reflect the way God is. He wants to make us like Him. So He starts changing us. So, He starts developing certain qualities in us, being generous, being trustworthy, being devout. 
you know what, I'm gonna do you guys all a favor. There's a lot of things that are gonna be listed here, so you can write down some things if you want, but I'll provide this as a PDF afterwards. If you go to the sermon, you'll see all these slides and you can have them there. What I'd like you to do, if you're writing anything down, is as they're being written down, think of two or three of these that you say, that resonates with me. I'm like that most of the time. And I, I want you to start thinking about how is that a reflection of Christ in me? Because it is. And then you maybe mention one or two that I struggle with that and say, what would it look like if I surrendered to God in this area? Okay, so I'll keep going here. So loving, merciful, peaceful, confident, humble, discerning, faithful, joyful, hopeful, patient, kind. Is this not sounding like the type of person that you'd like to be or you'd like to meet? Good, gentle, self-controlled, perseverant, meek, hospitable, responsible. These are all character qualities that exude from Christ because that's how he is. So, just a little quiz here. Why do you think those ones are in yellow? If you're at home and you remember what happened just before the service and we read scripture, we read two portions of scripture. One was Romans 7, the other one was Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> right? So those are all the fruit of the Spirit, just coming from that one verse. But we might look at this list and say, okay, great, I can acknowledge that that's of God, but I know people who aren't Christians and they exude these qualities better than I do, and I have the life of Christ in me. How is that even possible? Well, again, it's possible because all people are made in the image of God. They are wired in some way by God to reflect aspects of his character to various degrees. So whether people know God or not, just by the fact that they're made in his image, they exude certain qualities. They don't do it for the glory of God. They don't do it through his strength, but they still express those. And that's a really wonderful starting place to talk with people about Christ when you recognize those qualities and say, those qualities reflect the God who created us. But something gets in the ways of sin, in sin, and we can talk about that with them too and say that that's why we need the indwelling life of Christ in us. Some of us may have been Christians for so long, we just take for granted the Holy Spirit's in us. We don't know the difference of when did he come into my life? How do I acknowledge that he's in my life? Let me suggest that a starting place is to look at all the qualities in your life that you say, wow, these are good. These are wonderful qualities. And just start giving God thanks and credit for them and ask him to just indwell you so that those qualities may, may more and more point people to Jesus. That when they see you being merciful or hopeful or kind, that somehow they think God exists. <laughs> and a lot of that has to come do with the indwelling of, of the Holy Spirit in us. But for both, if you're just made in the image of God, you don't know Christ, or you're a Christian, you have the dwelling life of the Holy Spirit in you, idolatry is always an issue. <laughs> Anytime we let something get out of our, fo put our focus on instead of Christ, these qualities start being disrupted. They, they don't look the way they should. So we've got our attributes and then we have our attitudes. I put a little picture there. Attitudes change everything. Charles Swindle, I think, was the one who said, 10% of life is what happens to you, 90% is how you respond to it. That's very true. 
we always pray about circumstances being changed and more or less it's my attitude often that needs to change. So here's a few things that God changes as far as attitudes. Have your mindset on Christ walking in his life and peace. Rejoice always in hard and pleasant circumstances, in persecution. Rejoice always, be thankful in everything. Consider others better than yourself and look out for their interests. You're determined to live obedient with God and don't resist the Holy Spirit. A large part of our life when we talk about spiritual battle is just learning not to hinder the Holy Spirit. Just getting out of his way by learning to say no to the things that temporarily please me but displease God. Or temporarily get me away from understanding about life in Christ and I think about just life in me. How do I get life myself? Desire all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Trust God to continue and complete his work in you. These are all beautiful um, attitudes that we're meant to have. I just want to read you this verse from Jeremiah 17, and it deals with trust. It says, but the person who trusts in the Lord will be blessed. The Lord will show him that he can be trusted. He will be strong like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots down deep by the stream. It's not afraid when the days are hot. Its leaves are always green. It does not worry in a year when no rain comes. In a year like COVID, (laughs) when there's no rain and you feel like you're languishing, it does not worry in a year like that it always produces fruit. And again, the fruit doesn't come because we try to make it happen. It comes because we belong to God and we enjoy that relationship with him. Fruit derives from that connection. So now let's move on to abilities. So we've had our, our attributes, character qualities. We had our, uh, the ways that we think, our attitudes, and now our abilities. And this really comes down to, not some, this isn't yet the acting out of something, it's about being able to understand something properly. It's having my mind being renewed by God. And when my mind is renewed, eventually my heart can be filled in properly, and I'm, I'm living out of a place that understands deep truth. Right? First I need it in my head, but also I need it in my heart. I need to believe it from a heart level that these things are true and worthwhile. So often these abilities come by going down really difficult roads and you learn things about Christ in a, in a hard way but a deep way, or they come because you have intentionally been creating holy habits to get you in the presence of God. So you're able to comfort others as God has comforted you. You're sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit. You can enjoy God's peace. You live quietly and mind your own affairs. You walk properly before your neighbors. And you abide in Christ and you keep his commands. So this is something you're able to do, right? It's a way that you're able to live. You can actually give comfort to people because you've been in a place of deep grief before. And you've experienced comfort from God and his people. You're able to be in peace because you know what it's like to be anxious. You know what it's like when your life is falling apart. You've been through that. And then you've started to learn more and more of God's peace. And you can offer that to others to the extent that you've experienced it. And the same with abiding in Christ. You can abide with him. It it actually just starts to happen naturally. And you realize your mind just starts floating, going more and more to Christ, even in the unguarded moments. You're just thinking about him. But the problem with abiding is that we're all prone to wander. 
And we often wonder exactly when these things are meant to be what defines our heart. When, when I'm not comforted, instead of going to God, I go to what gives me comfort. Maybe it's some ice cream, a TV show. When I'm not enjoying God's peace in the moment, instead of going to him, I go to something else that will give me what I feel quicker results. We all have things, crutches, that we t- go to before going to God because sometimes it's easier than waiting on God. But waiting on God allows the things to go, again, from our head to our heart. So the last thing we're going to talk about, evidence of the life in the Holy Spirit, are our actions. So from belonging to God, we bear fruit, and that fruit comes from life in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is changing our attributes, our character qualities, the abilities we have, and our attitudes, and out of that flows action. That's where action is supposed to flow from, after we're fully convinced of the love of God and it flows through us. And so what are the kind of actions that are meant to exemplify our life or that remind us that we do have life in the Holy Spirit? Devote yourself to do good works that are good and profitable for everyone. Avoid foolish debates and divisive conversations. That's an important one. Explain the gospel clearly, showing Christ through Scripture. So that you yourself, when you read Scripture, what you think most of it is Christ. It's not about principles to live by. When you read scripture, you encounter Christ. And he changes your mind and he changes your heart. You can pray without ceasing in the spirit and you pray for everybody. You pray for all the saints. You live in holiness, rejecting a life of impurity. Sin starts to become disgusting to you. The sin that was very desirous before, and it still is at times, It's not just disgusting after you've committed it and you have to go and ask God for forgiveness. That's usually when we see sin for what it is. It actually becomes disgusting to you all the time because it sees that that's what keeps you from a loving relationship with God, from enjoying that indwelling life of Christ. And you you just don't want anything to do with it. And finally, for today, we're talking about we invite others to become imitators of you as you are of Christ. We've been talking a lot about discipleship in the church and the idea that discipleship is really offering to others what God has given us. That's very simply what it is. If you wonder how can you share your faith with others, think deeply about your own story and just be ready to tell your story and say that your story's not over, that you're growing in your walk with God and that you have much to anticipate and that by dying, to sin and dying to the law in Christ, you're starting to understand what it means to have life in him, to become like Christ yourself, and to know that you will be with him and those he loves for eternity. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up now as I just, uh, just pray for us, and I just wanna encourage you that God wants you to understand he's done everything possible to have you belong to him for you to have a fruitful life and for that fruitful life to be because of the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit in you. Our role is to accept, repent, and accept. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you that you have clearly shown yourself throughout history 
in all of creation, you say everything you created points to you so that we could know you exist and that you are kind to everyone so that you, we might know that you love us. Lord, forgive us for the times we look to things for life, but they, they just lead to death. Instead of surrendering to you and identifying in you as your word says to be baptized into death so that we might rise with you and have life in you. Lord, as a church, we want to celebrate you more by living in the Holy Spirit. And we want to worship you and adore you more by also sharing you with others so that they might come to have life in you as well. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Help us, Father, to live in you today for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Thank you.